Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode. I am Michael Petro, and joining me on the show this week is Canadian costume designer Patty Henderson. Patty Henderson has 24 years of versatile costume design experience under her belt, guys. Uh, throughout her exciting career, she's worked at every level with the costume department, uh, gaining experience that she's applied to a variety of projects, such as the Chucky franchise, A Dog's Journey, starring Dennis Quaid, filmed in Manitoba, the Capture of the Green River Killer, and many more. Uh, Patty's talent. Will be showcased once again. It is been it's it's already been showcased uh, in the 2021 titles. Nobody starring Bob Odenkirk, done by Universal, and Flag Day, directed and starring Sean Penn. Uh, in her addition to these many credits, she's also worked directly with distinguished actors such as Keanu Reeves, Samuel L. Jackson, Josh Brolin, Michael Fassbender, and as previously mentioned, Dennis Quaid, with a multitude of acclaimed studios under her belt, such as Universal, DreamWorks, AMC, and Endeavor. We get to talk about her time at Cannes Film Festival this year with Flag Day, um, how that whole story went down, how she met Sean Penn. That's a great story. She's got stories for days. She's got an eye for needle and thread. She's a lovely lady to speak to. We're going to have all her contact information there. She also runs a vintage shop as well, too. Great style, this lady, man. If she could dress me, I would let her do it every goddamn day. So, Patty, thank you so much for saying yes to my weird Facebook message. I much appreciate it, and I know our listeners will, too. I don't have anything for housekeeping for you guys this week. No new updates to really anything, so we can skip that shit. Uh, if this is your first time, stick around for like another minute. This is your 114th time. Head on into the theater, the proverbial theater. Get your snacks, get your drinks, get ready for a fun conversation. To the new people, the ones who've pressed play for the first time, thank you so much for doing so. You've taken a chance, and we appreciate it. At the end of this, please go back, listen to a couple other episodes. We implore you because there's a lot of funny, weird, dumb shit there, and we pride ourselves on being funny, weird, and dumb. Uh, that being said, when you're done, one or two more episodes, maybe five or ten, whatever you want to listen to, no pressure, uh, go and subscribe. That's the cheap, easy, and free way to do it. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, subscribe. We'll show up each and every Wednesday with a new dumb topic, and hopefully we'll make you laugh. If you're inclined to do more than that, there's two ways to do so. You can uh, go to our donation tab if you want, throw a couple, you know, two bucks at us. If you're from Canada, throw a toonie our way. Uh, I'll all goes back into production costs, guys. It just makes the show better. And then we get to blame you, and you get to be like an executive, like a co-executive producer kind of thing. And then there's also our prop shop, our merch stand, right? It's on threadless.com. Lots of comfy clothing there, lots of weird gadgets and gizmos and whatnot. You can buy skateboards from us, fully set up, or just the deck. Cell phone covers, socks, shoes, hats, sweaters. All the podcast swag that you can think of is there. No pressure to do either, but I'm just saying, if you're like, we like these guys, how do we make them better? How do you lift us up? That's how you do so. You do one of those three things. But subscribing is key. If we can remind you of one thing, that would be it. Uh, at this point in the show, we like to thank the top ten places that are screaming about us around the world. Uh, maybe you'll be one of them after you've pressed play a couple times, and we'll see you show up on the list. So, number ten, Rio Rancho, New Mexico, still hanging around from last week. Washington, more Manitoba, Baconia, Neverville. Then we uh, jump to Smithers, British Columbia, and Vancouver, British Columbia. That's courtesy of our resident debater martin navarro i'm sure he's spreading the good word out there but to all you vancouver and smithers people whoever you are thank you so much for listening to the show uh concord north carolina and boardman you've been with us for a couple months now we'd love to hear from you send us an email at the real debaters at gmail.com tell us who you are tell us what kind of movies and tv shows you like and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the show we'll embarrass you we'll, we'll, we'll probably embarrass us more but you know you know what i mean uh and then finally the top two places winnipeg manitoba and winnipeg manitoba i still don't know why my metrics say two different places even though it's the same fucking place needless to say to our winnipeg fans we love you 
Uh, to everybody who listens here, we, we love it when you do. But these are just, like I said, the top 10 places that are doing some heavy lifting. I have said too much. I have gone too long. You've probably skipped already. Long story, even longer, but now we'll make it short. I will cue the reel, and you enjoy the show. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Welcome, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Real Debaters production. Uh, no debates, no rousing conversation with Mark and myself and any of the other guys. Uh, we got lucky enough to get an interview with costume designer Patty Henderson. Say hello, Patty. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for... See, we're a, we, we don't pretend to be a, a, a big deal so when anyone says yes to us the whole chat room just lights up wow that's awesome someone thinks we're great enough to talk to so thank you <laughs> thank you for inviting me i love to talk about my process so let's do this delicious okay so we can't find out how you got to where you are today without finding out how you how you started so yep. uh let's do the origin story and 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 check that box what got you into film Sure. Short version, long version. How about if I give you the medium version? Yeah, um, we can edit. So go. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I was a young mom. Uh, I started, I think I was 21 when I had my first, my first child. And my then husband was working for IATSE Local 63, yep. this, the stage side of things. And um, he was also working at another company that I, I can't remember if it folded, whatever, he lost his job. So I had to get out there into the workforce and I found I was working, um, you know, a multitude of obnoxious jobs to make ends meet. And then uh, through him, I, I met some people that were, I guess, uh, Local 856 wasn't even, uh, IATSE, wasn't even there yet. They were all part of Local 63 and there was a small film community. Uh, there was a film in town, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Jane Seymour, um, Woman Wanted, I think it was called. And then there was a kids TV series, uh, YTV, The Adventures of Shirley Holmes. And they knew that uh, I, I stitched, I, I sewed my kids clothes, whatever. I worked at fabric stores, you know, that basic kind of thing. And they said, hey, do you want to come and work on a series? And uh, I don't know how to do this. You know, I have no idea. I know that the only thing I knew about film was it not was not shot in chronological order. <laughs> I, I said, sure. Um, okay, I'll try this. So they threw me onto the set, threw me into the wolves, if you will. I became the truck costumer on that YTV series. And uh, I said, you know, this is kind of fun. Uh, I, I learned on the job, no schooling. Uh, lots of training from some really, really talented people in Winnipeg uh, in the film industry. Thought, oh, I'll do it for five years, you know, yeah, make some money and sure, sure, yeah, yeah, figure out what I want to do. Uh, it's 25 years later, and I'm still doing it. So, so obviously, uh, you, you got bit and you turned, uh -huh. turned into the costume designer that you are today. Well, absolutely. Where else in the world can you work for six months and take six months off, you know? Yeah, I with the day job that I have uh, working so closely with you guys, I've 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 often flirted with the idea, but it's it it is that that I I'm a routine based person. I I, I grew up. I still struggle with with adult ADD. 
So <laughs> for me is a big deal, right? As much as it feels like I'm creating my own simulation, it, it gets me through the day. So that's the only, it's the only drawback, but I get it. Like it is, it's like, let, let work super hard. Like you would for a full year and then just pace yourself and then create something if you want, or do something else for a minute and, and come back to it. Like it's always, it's always there for you. Where did your love of stitching come from then? If it, if it uh, really wasn't something you had, like my, I have a soft spot for costume designers is where I'm getting my mother stitches a ton of stuff. I grew up in fabric land. I grew up in around sewing machines and, and stitchers and, and whatnot. And I still do like uh, every time I come over, she's, I've got pillows in here with the Mandalorian and, and Yoda on them that my mom made just for my birthday. Yeah. I still get this That's stuff. So. so funny. I started it about the age of four. Um, oh, it wow. was some, my, my mom stitched and I was really, really drawn to it. I was super into Barbie dolls. Um, <laughs> you know, this is the early seventies we're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, my parents couldn't afford to buy me all those pink outfits and things like that. And I wanted to learn how to make mail. So literally started with the tube dress on my mom's sewing machine age four or five. But um, I went to Vincent Massey High School and they had a fantastic home ec department. And I learned a lot from um, the teachers there. And I learned a lot from my, my friends' mothers because it was the seventies, people sewed their own clothes. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. Was, it's a dying art, let me tell you. And, but it was just something that I think I was born with. I loved it. I still sew for myself today. Uh, just because it's about putting your your brain where your hands are, you know, mental health over this COVID, uh, keeping keeping yourself sane. And I did a lot of sewing just for fun, just to keep my brain somewhere that wasn't, you know, looking on the computer to see how many numbers we had. Today. Yeah, no, right. And that's I think that was the biggest battle was was an mm -hmm. active brain as opposed to just uh, okay, I'm just going to absorb all of this drama and and have not. That's I my mom still does too like she's she makes uh she worked she worked in in medical clinics all of her life so she's always been in the blues and the greens but instead of going with the blues and the greens, she put her own zhuzh on it and <laughs> like marvin the martian and like warner brothers right she has this whole line of things and like i'm like you need to get on to etsy and make a a, a side hustle at this because yeah. if, if it's yeah. if it, you're too good to to not do it um so well, and I do have a side hustle doing that to keep the brain busy. You know, I, I, I repair, I collect and repair and bring back to life vintage clothing and I sell it online. Really? I do. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know if you know this about me, but, um, Peter Youngblood and I, he's a customer in Winnipeg. We had a vintage store in the exchange district. We, I was down there for a good, uh, five, six years. And Peter joined me for the last three years of that. What was the name uh, of it? uh wildwood rose vintage yeah i've heard of it i i i didn't get into vintage and i wasn't cool until very late like last <laughs> week so like i don't i i I only child very helicopter parent so like i all of those things i've yeah. I, i've slowly incorporated into my life um wh what is it i guess that because everybody that i talk to there's a running theme either they get into a department and they stick like you did mm -hmm or they play with a bunch of other ones. Did you ever play in anything else between? Or no. did you, oh, so no. okay. I had no interest in playing in between, which is interesting because when I met these people who asked me if I was interested, I was actually going to night school at U of M um, working towards my CGA, thought I'd be you know, an accountant. And uh, 
so the accounting department um, knew I had a little bit of schooling and they would always ask me, you know, but no, I didn't want to be that person sitting at the desk, listening to all the people going, where's my paycheck? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get my 10% off my insurance. Exactly. I need to talk to HR. Yeah. So no, I stayed with the costuming and I started from the very bottom. I started, um, well, I don't want to call it the bottom. I worked in every facet of the department uh, to learn all sorts of different things to bring me to where I am today. Uh, I started as a truck costumer. I worked as a, uh, an assistant costumer. I worked as a breakdown artist. I worked as a coordinator. Uh, after the truck gig for about five years, you know, Winnipeg really started to grow and we needed more crew. And I moved to be a set supervisor. I think my first gig was um, the story about the Osmond family. I know that. I know that family. I, yeah. uh, Kath, uh, uh, Kristen Sawatsky just uh, did the show with us recently, and she did the stunts on that show. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. And so that was my first forte into um, set costuming, and I did that for many, many years. Until I kind of realized that, you know, people who work on the set all the time, don't have the opportunity to go to dentist appointments to, and as I said, I had kids, right? And when my kids were in football, I was going to parent-teacher, all these things, and it was a struggle. So I, I chose to move into the, the shop, if you will, and, and learn more about buying and assistant costume designing, coordinating, and eventually costume designing. So um, I, I have an idea because I've talked to Heather Neal, which I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah, Heather was one of my assistants for many years. Great person. She said the same thing about you. Like the names just so it I love the community that, that Manitoba film is. I kind of have an idea, but I'm always down to learn a new thing and not look like an idiot and open my mouth at the wrong time. So what are the <laughs> levels of that? Like when you say truck to set to buying, like what's in the truck? What's on set? What's it buying? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So uh tiers, if you will. Yeah. Um, we'll start with the costume designer who comes up with the concepts, uh, works collaboratively with the production team, uh, producers, creative producers, showrunners, what have you, director, of course, yeah. and, you know, comes up with the vision. And then it comes down to the assistant designer who becomes that person's right-hand person um, and kind of manages the shop, if you will, and decides helps doing the buying and but there's also the coordinator you know how many bg do we need for one day how many people do we need to dress the bg how many shoppers do we need is it a period costume uh, show do we need uh people looking after all the rentals like there's so many different facets does this show have breakdown breakdown meaning um aging and making things look older yes, yes. or you know or do you have a specific look like think of the handmaid's tail with all those red gowns and all the blue gowns all of that stuff is dyed those colors so do you need a, a dye artist are you creating specific look i mean you know all of that is the things that twirl in the costume shop if you will to create the looks that are then sent to set. And on set, you have the, the set supervisor, the costume set supervisor. Sometimes if you have a, a name actor, a bigger actor, that person will have their own personal set supervisor that looks after only them. I've done that job a couple of times uh, as well. Um, and then you have your, your truck costumer. And think about a giant closet built in a semi-trailer I want uh, one. Double. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's um, double racking systems. You have a washer and a dryer, if it's a good truck, of course. <laughs> um, um, a workstation, you know, an area that we congregate in the morning before we start shooting on set. And that's where the truck customer will look after everybody's clothes, clean them, uh, organize them, label them, make sure all the closets are good to go. And we have what's called a lineup, a daily lineup. And that's a specific rack that holds each actor that's playing that day, their costumes, their costume changes. You know, everything's tagged with notes on how this should play, how it should look. It's, it's so funny. People say to me, oh my God, you're a costume designer. Can you make a Halloween costume for me? Oh my God. And um, it, that's not what it is. But I understand, you know, that people, pe- People don't get it. And that's why you're asking me the question or the other thing that people will say yes. to me, oh my God, you just must love shopping. Oh yeah, I just love shopping when I can't find something and they want that thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that thing is, you know, two weeks away, halfway around the world and you got to buy it. They're like, get it, find it, get it here. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, then we have costumers uh, or sometimes assistant costumer or costume assistants, we call them. And those are the people that fill in the holes um, where things are needed on set, depending on the, the needs and the details of what's happening per day on set. How much of what you get, and I'm, that actually, let me react to that first before I jump here. I like asking questions. That's my problem. That's um, okay. I love asking. So, like, could you have anywhere from like, say, 10 people spread out between all of those departments? all the way up to say like a hundred pending the size of the film? It's interesting that you say that, um, you know, when we first started 25 years ago, it was a three person department. We wore many, many hats. Um, I'm seeing out here in Vancouver, a lot of these movies of the week and and things like that. Same thing, it's four people doing all of the work. So it it really hasn't changed much. It's dependent upon the needs of the show. you know, I usually work with, well, you have your base core yep. of four, five, six people, and then it can go anywhere as upwards 20. I was talking to somebody in Calgary who's working on a series out there. It's a period series. And they have their base crew plus 30 people wow. on their show. So it all depends on the needs of the show. And are those needs based on period piece, not period piece? Are they based on uh, like, wh- how do you, how do you marshal your force if you're, cause mm-hmm. me, I know I've, 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 well, I shouldn't say I know, but I have a better idea, but I want people to understand that to create a world where you fall into it for two hours and fall out of it. It's not just a costume designer because everybody says the same thing. And I love it. It's like, it's a team. It's an effort. It's, it's a huge mm-hmm. group of people. And there's always somebody doing something. It's not just, you know, the you, yeah, for the ones who watch the Oscars, you see the main staff or the main department on there, but these 30 other people you're talking about never get to get on stage. They never get an Oscar. So I, it, yeah. what, what changes the, the amount of people? Is it the eccentricity of the costume? Is it the, uh, you know, the um, price? What, what are the, what are those factors? Bottom line is the budget. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody dollar. <laughs> It's, it comes down to the budget, but no, to answer your question is, um, here's a really good example. Right. Uh, Dawn Cherry, keep your head up, kid, the Dawn Cherry series, the, yep. the CBC miniseries. I did yep. that one and I did the, the one that came after it. 
we started in 1944, 42, and we went all the way to 1990s, I believe, by the time we were done. We had 10 hockey teams, home and away uniforms. So I had to find, we had to find period hockey skates. We had to have a lot of those hockey uniforms, the fabric knit, because they had knit uniforms back then. And in the 70s, they came into that nylon mesh, and then on and on and on. So we had to have people looking after all those teams, the hockey players, as if you know they were like assistants to hockey teams, make sure that they have their skates, their tape, that everything's ready for the day. Then on the other side of it, we were shooting things in, you know, uh, the Pemina Hotel was our bar. And so we had all the period extras dressed in, in day clothes, if you will. Yep. Uh, 1950s, 1960s. So it, I'm, I'm looking it, at a shot here of all of, like a, it's an arena shot at a game. <laughs> there's probably, I'd say rough count, 40 to 50 people in this shot. And they are yeah. all in a unique costume from that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I had 12 to 15 people at any given time on that show. I wish I could have had more, but again, it all came down to budget and what I was allowed to have. Uh, I did another period show called Magic, set in 1934. It was Dust Bowl about a young man that built a ship in Saskatchewan. I'll let you watch the film. I won't tell you any more than that. It was also period, but I think I only had five people on staff. So, you know, it there weren't as many characters. There weren't as many things needed. So Uh, like you said, it's it, when you, when you get down to it, it's how much is this going to cost for 10 characters, a hundred characters. So budget leads. Absolutely. And you know, um, Jared Kiso was my lead in Don Cherry. He had 168 costume changes. Oh my God. in, In the first series. Yeah. And I had 98 principal characters and then I had the hockey teams too. But then you go to something like Mad Ship, and I believe I had eight, ten characters total, and maybe thirty extras. So it's all dependent. So we we know our audience, we love our listeners. We know that not a lot of them play sports. I'm guessing because none of us do. <laughs> <laughs> um, first time you ever had to work with jerseys. What was that like? <laughs> you mean working with the actual jerseys and the players, or having them made? Uh, let's go both okay uh well there was a company in culver city they've changed names recently so i'm sorry i don't know the name new name um and they had the knitting machines that actually they set up the colors they set up the stripes they knit all the fabrics they had the old-fashioned looping uh embroidery machines to do the proper yeah, to do the proper logos. Um, but they also had the newer things uh, where they could do the new name bars that came in. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. I think they came in in 1978, 79. I was working a lot with the Bruins and I had to make sure that the costumes were correct because the Bruins started with that knit stuff, yep. but then they went into the they went into the mesh. Oh. Uh, I, think, I think it was 78, they didn't have name bars. 79, they all started to wear name bars, like, and the numbers as well. Yeah. So it was all, we all joined the NHL stats group and we had to pay for a membership so that we could learn all the stats on who played on what team, what their number was, what the costumes or their uniforms looked like. It was, it was a process, but it was, and, <laughs> Yeah, I think I even went, yeah, I did. I went to the NHL museum in Toronto uh, to look at some of the actual uh, costume pieces. That's great. 
Boston hockey fans will eat you alive if, <laughs> if they saw that. And they were like, how dare you? How dare right? you, Canada? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's just it. I, I was an assistant designer on um, a show called The Bear Named Winnie or A Bear Named Winnie. Yeah. It was a, Pooh, right? Yeah. Winnie the Pooh and Michael Fassbender was the, the lead actor. And um, my grandfather, who was uh, RCAF, World War II, phoned me and he said, you guys put the red tabs on the general's costume on upside down. I never heard the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a starbucks coffee in the middle of a game of thrones scene absolutely <laughs> right? Someone, yeah. someone's always looking and uh, and you only get like one shot right like mm -hmm. It, mm -hmm. well unless somebody else like your director could be really into the military or police uniforms or stuff and they'll correct you right away but if they don't know you know you're doing the research on your own and you're i like to be as uh um real and correct as possible yeah your name's your name's there right so mm -hmm. it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a matter of and it, it, that i think i think like lighting each department is their own facet but costuming is is where the world starts to take place i think once you once you see what they're wearing then you know where they are and it tells the story a lot of times it helps to tell the story costuming is not um about going to the mall and buying clothes it is about creating a character that with costume that helps tell that character's story, but also helps the actor be comfortable enough to feel the part so that they don't have to think about their costume and they can do their job, they can perform. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, having done this for well over 20 years, what's it like watching an actor get into your costume and see that change occur like where the costume becomes that like sixth man on the court or that superpower <laughs> that like their cape right like I'm, I'm thinking yeah. when they put the cape on Henry Cavill you were like okay we are here now right and that's what like when Marvel makes a costume oh my god fandom it's a costume yeah a costume. so <laughs> I, I'm just wondering what it's like the costumer to finally see you know you're making it you're sketching it you're sewing it you're you're aging it whatever you're doing to it you're hoping that it is what it is, but then it's you're you're giving them that extra zhuzh, so to speak. Well, a prime example for me recently, uh, two instances. One, I'm not going to give away too much. The rest you can you can um, see. Yes. One is nobody, uh, and it was the Russian the uh, the Russian character on that. If any of you have seen it, it's so uh, he, it's so. <laughs> <laughs> I love that film. It's it's. Fast and Furious, well, same people as the Fast and Furious, right? But it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have a model and they know how to do it. But we, I was doing this film in Winnipeg. I had moved here, but came back to Winnipeg. And there were not a lot of stitchers available, uh, not a lot of tailors. There's the one tailor I, I'm going to give a shout out to is Tam the tailor on Ellis. Love he Tam. has, Tam, he has done so much work for us, for us and so much incredible work. But he was really busy, so it's, okay, what do I do now? And as a costume designer, you get these emails from these companies um, reaching out, you know, from Thailand or, or wherever. Hey, we do this, we do this, we do this. And these guys from Siam Costumes reached out to me, and they sent me their lookbooks. They sent me their website. We'd really like to work with you. And I, I took a, a risk, and I, I hired them to do, help me do the, the looks. 
So I had a, an illustration, an illustrator um, help me and I would talk about what I wanted. And these guys would go to the market in Thailand every day wow. and they would source fabrics for me of things that I was talking about. And then they would show me the fabrics. They had it all at their fingertips. They would send me either samples or they would show it over Zoom of course. Uh, because, you know, we just didn't have a lot of time. And then I would sit down in the boardroom with my my creatives and uh, say, this is what I want to do. What do you think? My director had it all built. <clears throat> Pardon me. I don't take a sip here. It's yeah, very smoky here in Vancouver. I got uh, I got all the juice down here to keep me nice. And, nice. Mm-hmm. and we had it built and had it shipped. Um, I had somebody in Toronto do the actor's measurements because he was there working on something. So she did a really good job. Uh, specific so when everything arrived he stepped into it and he didn't speak much English <laughs> and just for, he, just for reference sake is this Alexi Sarah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. All right. I thought so. yeah thank you thank you for remembering not a problem I'm all over your page now so you've got a fact checker <laughs> good and he stepped into the costume and he started to stomp around the room like I even had shoes done for him by this company they they from scratch built these gold and black snakeskin shoes and that matched his costumes perfectly oh. and and he would put his hands on his hip and he had a translator with him <laughs> and he started going off and I, I had no idea what he was saying. Is he happy? Is he pissed? What, what's going on? Right. And the translator said to me, he has never felt more in character than when he stepped into that suit. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. And you see it in the film. You absolutely see it in the film. He's very flamboyant, very over the top, but for... And that's, I think that's what's so great about his character because he is so well-dressed and he presents himself as such a, a, um, a GQ man, but is absolutely mm-hmm. crazy and a sociopath. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's not like this, this silver suit that you had made is just, I love it. Like I would never be able to wear it, but I love it. <laughs> you, well, you know, and, and the process um, with the director, he kept saying to me gold and I kept saying, no, that's all this. <laughs> and and then he'd say white and i'd say no that's john travolta so you, you know we met in the middle right <laughs> it's a very fine line you don't want to you want to create your own thing but you know every good designer steals a little bit from somebody else here and there you know and yeah like it, that's it's the compliment to the point where it's theft right like a little bit is, mm-hmm. is always mm-hmm. like hey, i see you but if i'm tracing this out and coloring it in the exact same way then there's that's where I think the, the, what I watch a lot of food network. So when I see somebody just open up a box and cook it, I'm like, you didn't cook. You just want something. <laughs> up. Right. So I, 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 I kind of get what you're saying. Uh, I love like where the whole show is a big John Wick fan and Elia's mind is. Oh, yeah. He is coming across the thing. Like he unlocked a aging action hero genre that, um, has has miles on it like you can do any character you can do man you can do woman you can you can go back and take like it's it's so much fun so when we all heard about nobody we got we actually got to talk to paisley on the show wonderful and yeah wonderful freaking darling um <laughs> and so much fun and like we 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 sat and talked with her for a minute and, and it was the scene where she's on daddy's chest and we said to her I was like you i don't think you understand paisley the every time you're in the room Hutch becomes a different person. Like you're the only yeah. thing that Hutch is hanging on to from his new life. 
and and it was just really I was like You're her crazy. her facial expressions that that scene where she comes crawling over the couch mm-hmm. and lies on him is one of my favorite in, in the film just those little dimples and yeah, and, yeah and, and Hutch softens and becomes dad at that point yeah what a great film what a great film to work on it what's an action film like because all we're seeing is damage destruction so now <laughs> I'm thinking oh there's four costumes <clears throat> completely made from scratch again like how like <laughs> you know you say a period piece is very trying because you're sourcing out of date you're trying to find things that niche markets in thailand and culver city are the only places in the world maybe that make them still so what's an action film like where it's just total destruction for you and 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 like you're just doing the same thing over and over again essentially well it's interesting you know i had worked with uh, keanu reeves on a film called siberia Yes, and that I had met Braden Aftergood, who is was the, one of the executive producers on that film, and that was kind of I had done a little bit of action, but not a lot. That was my first real dip into it, and the director had a friend in New York that had a tailoring company, and so he really wanted me to use him. So I had I, th- I think six of Keanu's cashmere long coats built. Oh wow! By this, Actually, everything was built by this guy down to the jeans that Keanu wore in that film. And so you have to make sure that you you have the clean one. <laughs> There's the stages, right? You always keep one clean, always keep one clean. You never know if you're going to have to go back and reshoot something before the action starts. And then you have the different stages of what happens. Then you have the final final aftermath, if you will. So it all depends on how much action there is and how much uh, blood there is. Are you, doing the, are you doing VFX blood and gunshots or are you doing uh, practical squibs and things like that? So for Siberia with Keanu, we did a lot of squibs. He loved old school. He wanted to do it old school the way he had learned how to do it a gazillion years ago. Whereas with uh, Nobody, we had a mix of both. Okay. So you, you, you'll see it. There's a lot of VFX, but there's a lot of practical action as well. Um, I think for Bob Odenkirk, if I can talk about Hutch a little bit, is that oh, okay? Yeah, please. Your Hutch's character. At, at my disposal, <laughs> so you can go. Okay. Hutch's character had, um, I think, four basic looks to him. We started off with, you know, the boring guys. Yep. For those of you that have seen the film, the guy that's in a boring life, he's going to the boring job every day, the same coffee cup, the same coat, the same whatever. <laughs> so, um, you know, the production designer and I, Roger Fires, wonderful man, and I, we sat down and we talked about the level of, of clothes for, for this character. And he looked at me and he said, wouldn't it be great if we could design something so cool that a Funko Pop made a doll out of it? <laughs> that's the game now <laughs> that's the game now and um somebody has made an action figure and yes. So I wish, yes and yes. I will if buy you it. can do some fact checking on instagram i'm sorry i can't remember his name but he needs a wonderful plug uh i sat down with him and talked about all the costumes he reached out to me and i got permission to talk to him and uh he he copied fabrics he kept copied style anything whatever so we decided that Hutch would be wearing, back to the beginning here, a polo shirt and some khakis and, you know, just a, a boring jacket when we first saw him. 
And Roger said, but the, it needs to be something interesting. And I, I was something catchy. And I was standing in the hallway with Ilya, our director, and Kelly McCormick, our, our, our creative executive producer. And she was wearing this coat that had gradient blue stripes across the chest of it. And I said, that's it. <laughs> that's it right there. Sat down with the illustrator, did some looks on this polo shirt, and they loved it. And, and they went with it. Is then this, this is the brown jacket and the striped shirt underneath with the khaki the striped polo yeah the brown jacket came into play when he goes to his dad played by christopher lloyd yes. his place and he reaches into his closet and pulls out something that was his dad's from the past yep. i was trying to find something that was kind of 70s inspired thinking vietnam maybe you know not sure yeah. exactly what the era was and um i reached out to Bellstaff. That they do a lot of work with Tom Cruise and uh, James Bond and things like that. I thought they've got to have something. And I had a friend hook me up with, you know, one of the head people there and they came up with this jacket and said, what do you think of this? And I said, it's beautiful. It so I, I had six of those, I believe, six <laughs> or eight. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I chose it because it looked period it was suede so it would break down easily and also when you're squibbing something you need to be able to um have the, the fabric pop if you will um not that he got squibbed in that he was in that bus accident so there was a lot of scrapes and cuts and blood and it had to read it had to show beautiful beautiful coat and then um <laughs> i went in the route of van's six skater gear skater gear for pants because bob is a very slim kind of guy yes uh, he's, oh, he had worked yeah he'd worked for two years to come up with this body if you will he, he did most of his own stunts whenever he possibly could and he was totally into this and i showed him uh they were vulcan vulcan pants nice and uh Shout out the vulcan said, making some scratchy scratchy skater stretchy skater pants and he's like well why'd you pick these and i said put them on <laughs> <laughs> and he was kicking and bending in the fitting and he goes oh my gosh they look like your typical khakis that I could wear to work but I can do all the practical action in them and so that's what we went with and I think we had oh Blundstone came out with a new boot that had a lace-up so it was oh. comfortable yeah so that was that and, and uh, I think I, the next jacket was a Filson same thing it was all about it was the navy blue one. Yep. Uh, it was all of right now for reference. Yeah, you see it in the very beginning um, when he's. She asks, "Who the fuck are you?" Oh, yeah. sorry. Bleep. No, Who are you? Fuck, fuck, fuck. It's all fine. <laughs> okay. Very explicit. Don't feel bad. And that was a Felsen jacket. So natural fibers, easy to break down, easy to squib, and it looked fantastic on him. And it went with our color palette too. So these are all the things that we we had to think about um big plug uh, out there to vittorio rossi and frank and the boys over there in winnipeg i think they're on academy now and you know they helped me hook me up with a lot of these people to bring in some of these higher end pieces it uh it looked great we've all seen it we all it's it's such a fun it was such a fun thing 2021 needed for yeah. just to yeah. kind of break out of all of the nonsense and then you're like okay hang on hang on here yeah telling me the asshole lawyer is gonna be the new john wick like mm -hmm. i am mm -hmm. i was only skeptical because 
that's all I've seen of him since right. the show, right? Like his, his early sketch comedy days with, with David Cross. So like, I was, I was a little like, okay, all right, let's see where this goes. But then you hear that Elia is doing it. And then I'm like, all right, this is going to be something crazy. And I just believed everything that he did. I was like, there is a dark, dark person underneath all of this. Um, well, and back to the costuming process, if I might. Um, yeah. I think this is one of the most fantastic shows uh, for if I was ever to sit down and write a book about my experience. I, I don't ever remember it all, but where these guys told me stories and Bob sat down with me and we talked about the past and we talked about how he got to where he is today and Saul and things like that. And I don't know if you guys know, but he was one of the writers on SNL. Yes. I, and I, humorous he, yeah, he wrote the skit in a van down by the river. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that. So we, we had some really interesting chats about, writing those kinds of things and then, then you have someone like Chris, Chris Christopher Lloyd came came in he started talking without me even having to ask questions they usually don't right yeah they usually don't but we spent so much time together that some of these guys just started talking about their life as as actors so I got to hear all about Jim you know Jim from Taxi yes yeah. and oh his process yeah, he didn't he didn't talk much about Doc Brown, but he talked a lot about Jim. So I wish I'd you know hit the record button. Yeah. And then and then thirdly, you have Rizzo walk in the room. Uh yeah, Wu Tang okay. Clan. Right. Like that's a buffet of old, young, and okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh Rizza was uh, a southern a southern man, you know, from the southern states, and yeah. it was the accent. And yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, whatever I can do for you, ma'am. Absolutely, ma'am. And oh, what a sweetheart. I would work with him again in a hot second. When but it was oh, cast for, of characters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's 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 a it's a great casting. Whoever whoever sat down and figured mm -hmm. out who should play who was genius. But uh, with with the costuming, working with Bob mm -hmm. and and Riza, you and Elia, I'm sure, are communicating back and forth a lot. But what do these guys ever get involved and go like, could what about what if Sometimes. we do you collab at all or mm -hmm. all you, the time? All the time. All okay. the time. So there is a working relationship between actor, director, and costumer. Absolutely. And you know, i I think in my early days as an assistant designer, I worked with quite a few uh costume designers. Uh nobody in Winnipeg per se, but you know there was a lot of people that would come into town and I learned what not to do, if you will. And a big deal. For, it, it's a huge deal. And one of the big things not to do is to not listen to your actor. I listen to them all the time. If they want something that makes them feel comfortable, something that's going to allow them to, to not think about the wardrobe. Um, Keanu and I sat down oh, a day, day and a half together at, um, you know, a, a table in a hotel somewhere. And we went through every scene, every costume, every costume change, every thought, we talked about it all. He He's a brilliant man. So that when it came to working on set, good morning, Keanu, how are you? There was no issues. Yes. There, there was no issues. He was happy with everything and he could just go to work. That's very, very important. So well, yeah, that's, with the, that's a lot of time to be on camera as opposed to not being on camera. Exactly. And I, I've seen instances where people are wearing colors that they really, really don't feel comfortable in or, or styles or fits that they just, 
it makes them think about their bodies instead of thinking about acting. And I really try and avoid, I work with all three of them. I'm currently working on a series where I have a showrunner, a director, um, an actor that have a lot to say. And, And myself who also is, as you can tell, likes to talk. I have a lot to say too. But we've been sitting down uh, through these Zoom Google Meet meetings and I've been presenting ideas and we all talk them out. So then in the end, everybody's everybody's pleased with the work. Uh, Illy and I spent a lot of time on Nobody and Sean Penn and I, we spent a lot of time, but that's a whole other story that I'll wait for you to get into. Oh no, we can, we, I'm, I'm perfectly fine talking about Sean Penn and, and Flag Day because I'm so... <clears throat> Patty, I'm so excited to see that movie. I, I, it's not even, I thought it was going to be matchstick manish, you know, because when I heard about the story, I was like, okay, con mm-hmm. man, long con, you know, gentlemen, uh, like I'm a huge fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So I was like, this is going to be a dramatic version of that and how a guy lives his life through the long con. Then I saw the trailer and I'm just like, where is this? Like, that looks like it's going to be around in January for award season. No jinxing allowed. <laughs> all, right, all right, we got that. It won't even exist in the real world. My bad. What time is it? Okay. Five minutes. We'll chop that out. My bad. You don't have to chop it out, but that's what I've been saying to everybody. Um, <laughs> is that what people have been saying to you? Because it, they, uh, yeah, they have. Like, um, not necessarily for costumes, but um, the overall feel of it. Uh, just just from the trailer itself, as as we have discussed in the past, Michael, uh, Flag Day was in competition at the Cannes Film Festival this year. Yes. Uh, uh, 74th edition of the Cannes Film Festival, they finally opened. Sean invited me to go with him, uh, which, how do you say no to that? Uh, no. You don't. It was one of the most exciting experiences of my life was to be there while they presented his film. Uh, to the world uh, and to have people like Oliver Stone, Spike Lee was the head of the jury, uh, sitting like three three chairs away from you watching your work. Uh, I will, my husband said, keep that ego down, but you know, uh, uh, <laughs> when my name- Let it fly, let it fly. <laughs> when my name came up on the end uh, with a title card, I got a big cheer and clap from the audience and I almost cried. That's so, amazing. Um, yeah. Let's start with with working with, because this is a father daughter production, right? This is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His daughter. So, um, was she integral to the part of helping you create her costume and his costume? Because there, it what what era is it? Is it eighties? So we start in nineteen seventy, and okay. we go to nineteen ninety two. Okay. And uh, I was on vacation in L.A. Uh, January of 2019, and I got a call saying, would you like to go to Sean Penn's house in Malibu? And, you know, I said, sure. (laughs) And I, I spent the night, you know, reading the script, pulling together some pictures that, you know, when I read a script, there's things that instantly come to my mind, Uh, ideas, other films that I've seen, what have you, and I put together a quick little lookbook. And I drove to Malibu and sat on Sean's couch with him and, and presented it, pitched it, if you will. And he looked at me and he looked at it and he was very quiet. And I thought, oh God, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he turned to me again. And he said, would you like to be my costume designer? 
And that's how it started. Wow. So I came home from that vacation and I think I spent about a month uh, preparing uh, what I call a lookbook. Some people call them mood boards, concept books. Putting together all my thoughts, I start from the beginning of the script to the end of the script, and I put in references to how I how I see things, how I see the costumes, even down to how I see hairstyles, things like that, that match with it. And then when Sean got to Winnipeg, I presented that to him. Um, he had very little to say, other than just do it. So Sean was um, directing, acting. And uh, his daughter was starring in it, daughter Dylan Penn, and his son Hopper Penn was also starring in it. Awesome. We had Catherine Winnick, uh, for those Viking fans out there, plays yes. his wife. Yeah, she's awesome and in that show. She's wonderful. Uh, we had Danny Motor as our cinematographer, and we shot on Super 16. We shot on real film. Really? We, we did. Oh, uh, wow. So that was a, a process in itself. So it gives the films the whole tone to the film, uh, a, a grainy feel, a real feel. And uh, I had I was speaking with John Killick, one of our executive producers who had done Dead Man Walking with Sean. And he said to me, I'm watching the monitor and it looks like everybody's in the 70s. And it's it's not fake, it's not forced, it's not what have you so if you want to know my process i'm about to dive into it i would love um, my next question was all right so how do you start to finish something like this for for a film like what, what's your okay so for this one um i said to everybody it's set in minneapolis st paul i want to go there because minneapolis st paul has one of the biggest vintage markets in all of the northern part of the states but I wanted to stay true to what people wore there as well. Um, we all know it today as penguin, you know, the little penguin on your shirt, but yep. it was called Munsingware. And the factory had closed, uh, I don't know how long ago, but a lot of these vendors, these vintage pickers, uh, people with storefronts, people with, oh, oh my gosh, um, hidden gems, had stuff still in the packages from some of these. It was Jesus. It was a garment district. And so I, I said to the producers, I'm going there. And I, I took my assistant, Shaw Butker, with me. And we flew to Minneapolis. And our intent was to go to the just the vintage market to pull stuff from there. And But in the meantime, we'd made a whole bunch of connections on Instagram. So by the time we got to someone's house, oh, this woman has all these kids clothes from the period that are, you know, from the factory, still in the packages. Next thing we're in some DJ's basement over in um, St. Paul, who had all this collection of beautiful motorcycle jackets and beautiful uh, military wear, things like that, that were pretty cool for the period, right? That people would wear. Next, the most amazing thing, I was sent to some shop, all of this through Instagram. And it was a storefront that had regular vintage clothing from, you know, you go from the 40s up to the 80s, what have you. And he said, oh, I have a private collection. Let me take you in the back. And he opened up this secret door and it's where the boss, Bruce Springsteen, gets all of his stuff. And all these leather jackets sure. on the wall, the motorcycles, everything was in there. And we took a big video of it. We hit the jackpot. No kidding. So I phoned the producers and said, um, yeah, I'm staying for a week. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Research I did. See you soon. Yeah, Shaul and I would spend our evenings at the hotel room boxing things up and doing commercial invoices and having it all shipped back to, to Winnipeg. Um, we cleaned out the, the vintage stores in Winnipeg, my, my own included, for those periods. And then we went to uh, Toronto because they have the biggest, best costume rental houses in the country. And I specifically pulled looks that I wanted from my principal characters for my main cast and brought it all back to Winnipeg. We had a shop, I don't know, 100 racks full of things. Uh, we were in a warehouse space over on Sony Road there, yep, yep. fitting rooms. And I was there and, once for the for the day job and saw mm -hmm. just rows upon rows upon rows of of stuff and was like, this is this is so cool. Like it's it, it when you got everything, was it mm -hmm. was it just was it ready to go too, or did you have to eat yeah. it all or <clears throat> that's it's a whole other process to that. The stuff that comes from the rental houses, you don't touch it, but it's it's true to the period. It's been worn before. I cannot age any of those kinds of things. So it's, I have to be very specific in what I pick. And a lot of times the rental houses will have things that are already aged. So we had um, a woman, uh, Leah Sabalco, come on board and we had a whole breakdown system set up. She had what we would call the juice. And it was a chemical process that she juiced everything with and went through the washer. And it takes the top layer off of things and ages it to give it a well-looked, loved, so not right out of the box, not right out of the package. My favorite shirt-looking look to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then you have to organize it all to period because we had all sorts of different periods. We have to size it all. Um, you know, these are jeans from the seventies and they start at waist size 26 and they go up to waist size 32. So there's a lot of hands-on to organize it. And then the, it's almost like setting up a giant store, if you will. And then my fittings would start to get scheduled and I would go back there and I would pull everything together, what I had gathered. And this will work for this character. This will work for this character. Well, that was the process. And then we get into the fittings and and try it all on. Um, I actually prefer doing period costuming than contemporary costuming because I have less complaints from the talent, from the actors, because it's what it was. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> yeah, totally. You can't be like, no, I'd like to look like this. It's like, you look yeah. like a 17th yeah. century person. <clears throat> Deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know. There's still, uh, all of us have body issues and all of us want to portray our best selves. So, you know, we work with that tailoring things and making sure that the fit's perfect, but, you know, and that's the process. Take another sip here. Um, Do you- if, if Sean ever hears this, he may kill me, but that's okay. <laughs> when, it came, when it came down to Sean, um, he was so busy. He was so busy because, you know, I think he had a little hand in some of the scripture rights. His finger was in every pie. So I got him to try on one dress shirt, one pair of 70s jeans, one suit, one pair of shoes, one t-shirt. And he had know, 80 different costume changes. So from those base pieces, I had to measure them up and make sure that everything would fit him. And I would be on set every day with a rolling rack for, you know, my labels. I think here's three options for this scene. Here's three options for this scene. He would look at it and he'd go, I'll get that. 
and he would take it into his dressing room, put it on, and then he would go act and direct. So that was, um, I've never done that before. It was incredible, uh, but it worked. Doing, working with an actor director where your, your principal actor is wearing your amazingly picked costume now directing in it, that must be- With, a- with no fitting. With no fitting, that's like, mm-hmm. okay. So I've talked to cinematographers before, Brad Crawford is specifically who I'm speaking of. And he, uh, he was telling me that there are certain uh, guys out there who can just eyeball distance when it comes to focus. Like they can be like, I know I need this lens. Can you look at somebody? Because it seems like you can. Like what you're saying mm-hmm. translates to, okay, you've given me a cutout to work with. I'm going to take it and run. Because it seems like you could look at me and be like, okay, you're a 42 whatever or a 38 waist. Like is that is that some freaky talent that's kind of come from doing costuming for so long? A lot of us that have been doing it for a long time will have, um, you know, background performer come in the room and we'll go, oh yeah, 42, 32, (laughs) what size are those feet? You know, absolutely. We do it all the time. time. That's fun. I can't imagine because me and me and Shauna, my wife will go to a park and we'll make up stories for the people we see. Do you (laughs) make up costumes for people you see walking down the street? it's one of my favorite things to do um when my husband and I were in town a couple weeks ago one of our favorite things to do was to sit on the boardwalk at nighttime you know just sip a drink and watch the people go by and talk about what they were wearing or where did they get that from and look at how that's put together and I'm training him to 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 appreciate costuming what did he do in stage you said he met him from the stage union oh that's the first husband um oh sorry. he's long gone yeah <laughs> that's okay the second this one is corporate and oh yeah yeah so he he's not in film and it works beautifully <laughs> <laughs> i just hear all the the john krasinski emily blunt drama on a quiet place just, i'm like yeah how do yeah. you tell how do you tell your wife to shut up all day long and go home and have a happy life like that's the, you don't no yeah. don't <laughs> Uh, man. well you know there are the exceptions yeah you know, there are the exceptions that can pull it off and i i guess we're like the 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 singer songwriter relationship i owe some of my favorite bands that were couples are no longer because eventually it just yeah <laughs> just too close to each other there's no break well look at fleetwood max best album it was all about their breakups yes that's true yeah you are right yeah. fair enough um when is there when you talk about this jacket you put on hutch or some of like do you ever get married to costumes and have a hard time aging them breaking them like is there <laughs> do you, do you have anxiety about that sometimes where you're like yeah a different version of this and I'm, I'm gonna take this home and whatever i want with it um that's so funny that you say that because hutch's jacket is a prime example because uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful jacket. Uh, like I said, Bell Staff, that thing was um, $3,000. Wow. And so uh, there, yeah, I just told you guys what those things cost. Yeah, you told me so, that too. <laughs> yeah, and um, I had Grant McDonald's breaking down for me on that show. And he actually said to me, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I said, you have to, buddy, you have to. <laughs> But yeah, all the time. But it's all part of the art. And in the end, those pieces don't belong to me. They're part of the story and I have to let go. Do uh, I don't want any names. We're not about naming anybody here, but there's some things go missing sometimes, Patty. (laughs) 
Um, well, you guys all know about the Ryan Reynolds story, I'm sure, don't you? And that was not my show. I didn't want work on it, but it was Deadpool. It was yeah. in the news, yeah. so I can talk talk about that one. And yeah, you I do know everybody know, in who some... doesn't know. Everyone, I think most of Canada knows what Ryan Reynolds is doing right now at home. Yeah, because so, we love him so much. <laughs> but yeah, tell people what they don't know. Yeah, well, when he was doing, um, was it Deadpool two? I believe. I, I, I think it was the second one. And, you know, they had created this beautiful costume for him and the Deadpool costume. And at the end, the very last day of shooting, he just said, see ya, and you're not getting your costume back. And he walked right off the set. I have since worked with a couple costumers that were on set that day and, you know, producers were losing their minds. And, um, but, you know, I think Ryan was probably a producer on that too. And, and yeah, wait, wait. He got to pay for it if he put money in it. So. <laughs> so yes, to answer your question, it does happen. Has it happened on my show, shows, uh, my projects? 100%. <laughs> That's great. Um, no, that, but you know what? Like Depp did that with Sparrow and and maybe he probably had a spare one made not just walked off set oh there was many of those there yeah was many. right yeah. so so then you know you've got something spare but i feel that that costume wears well like it looks like when i saw the people try to do the halloween version i was like get the fuck out of here like that's <laughs> i'm sorry you look like you're in a red leotard like he looks like he's ready to get shot and fall to pieces so big difference that's here. right yeah but uh <laughs> i think though he tried he's been he was trying for 10 years to make that so mm -hmm. there's i feel that that's ryan reynolds charm ryan reynolds humor because he know like we all know he'll give it back he's canadian he's not gonna keep it but like yeah. he's like listen if i'm gonna be deadpool i'm gonna daniel day lewis this and wear it all the time i'm going to be method deadpool absolutely uh, you know and if you look at the flag day trailer um sure there's a couple pieces in that that stand out and i know where they are <laughs> i'm i'm so happy that like i love that story about how you get a call on a vacation and you go to his house and like those are the i'm i'm at the age where i love how the sausage is made i love what you guys do i want to know more about it it, it the mystery does not get demystified for me when i know how a stunt is done mm -hmm. I, I i want I, i'm still blown away because it doesn't look like what you're telling me you're doing like what you're saying you're doing right. never projects on screen, which is, I think, the measure of your talent, because everything you've explained to me doesn't look like what I saw. What I saw is like a thousand times better version of it. So it's I, 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 I dig that. Um, what 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 do you want a costume that you haven't costumed yet? What's your dream costume? Mm. If someone could show up and give you all the budget. What, what show would you want to just jump on right now, let's say? And which one would you want to do? I want to do period, I want to yeah. do period projects. I well, I I'm drawn to history. I should have been a history major. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Uh -huh. um, I I spent a a season teaching the history of costume at MC College. That didn't go well because I couldn't get them to like what I liked. You know, the, the oh. students they they just they didn't see it how I did. So you know, some of my favorite things to watch are period costuming. One of our one of our uh, producers on Flag Day is Bill Horberg, uh, who just won the Golden Globe for uh, The Queen's Gambit. Uh, you know, he did the talented Mr. Ripley, the kite runner. <clears throat> I want to work with Bill again. 
I want to work yeah. with uh, get get a project that's period. Uh, the Queen's Gambit costuming just blows my mind. It, if you, for those of you that haven't seen it, the costume designer takes the chessboard into consideration in every single costume really? that our lead is wearing. Oh, it's, uh, it's absolutely incredible. I would like to work on a period project with somebody, producers that are very creative and have these ideas that we can tell a story through the costuming. What? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes, yeah, because that's, I, I, I totally get that because the story, like you can really go costume heavy, right? You can, mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, uh, well, sorry, uh, Shakespeare in Love, for example, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, or, uh, the, uh, the British show that everybody loves right now that's going through the ages of the Queen, right? Well, the, the Crown is fantastic. I love yeah. that project, uh, Downton Abbey, all of those things that tell a story through the history of costume. I would like to to do that. And I have done that on every single period project I've worked on, whether it's set in the 70s, 80s, what have you. I'm telling a story through costume, through the history, based on the history of costume. Is there, the history any, of clothing. Is there anybody out there that you pull from, that you admire, that you followed over the years? <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, you kind of take from everybody. Like who are your, who do you fangirl over? Oh my God, Alexander McQueen is... I love him, um, but he's, he, Alexander is his, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but his designs are out of the norm. They come from nature. They don't, he takes a little bit of historical period costuming and puts them into where he did. And Sarah Burton, who's now taking over the house has done that. But if I was to go back and the people that I always pull from is Yves Saint Laurent. Uh, Dior is huge, ab absolutely huge. I just watched the series on Netflix, Halston. Yes. What did you think? I loved it. I loved it. He's amazing. I, uh, I watched a couple episodes so far, and I, I haven't come back to it, but he's amazing in it. You and McGregor in that, absolutely fantastic. But you know, those those are the designers that are my favorites. Um, but when it comes to eras that's a whole different story sure. you know it's about what was going on in the world during those periods uh you had that dramatic shift from uh, edwardian to victorian into the 20s flappers then you had the depression which cut everything out and, you know the supplies were limited so styles and fashions changed because of the economics of the world and what was going on then you get into the 40s where it was more tailored and then 1947, Dior created the new look, which was the very nipped in waist, the, the tailored bodices and the giant skirts, you know, on and on, on and on. on. Look at those. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like how would women carry a carpet around all day long on you? Like mm -hmm, with a lot of heavy mm -hmm. clothing. Exactly. So I can't really specify, you know, as you're asking me that question, Vivian Westwood, oh my God, she started the punk influence and, love her it's i love them all how, how does that say i love them that, all no, that, i pull that, from all of them that says that you've got a palette that says that you don't limit yourself that says you you're you're not gonna put yourself into a lane and and just do that mm -hmm. and i would mm -hmm. imagine in the world you work in you can't do that you've, you're gonna go no. from, you're gonna go from chucky Don Mancini, our guy <laughs> Skinner, loves Chucky, loves Chucky. And I adore him. 
we got to we doug morrow super good friend of the show um, talked to him yesterday yep <laughs> lovely individual um took jimmy to his studio uh and did a scar on him we've got pictures on our instagram for it like but what what's what's a horror like we've gone we've done the period we've done the cool new hip action like <laughs> what's a horror movie like well it's funny that you say horror because there's horror and then there's chucky so what do you want what do you want to talk about chucky, chucky. <laughs> okay chucky is um something that Don Mancini created. Uh, it's his baby. His sister, yeah, his sister got a Cabbage Patch doll for Christmas one year. And uh, he was going to film school, I think, at UCLA. Forgive me, Don, if I got that wrong. And uh, he had created this script, this character, and David Kirshner, um, who was, I guess, one of the crits that came in to check out everybody's work. And he just loved the idea. And there it was born in the two of them have worked together ever since Don was 23 on this project and working with Chucky. Well, he was already created, right? Um, so I had to work around him and I had to uh, make sure that the idea of Chucky never changed, but I had to create the characters that added to whatever story Don had come up with this, this week, this year, this month. And I, they're all different. So I imagine you've, yeah. you've done curse and you've done cult. I have, and, and, you know, I had to make a big decision this, this past year because they asked me to do the show? series that they're, oh. they just finished shooting in Toronto. And um, that was a really, really hard decision to make, but I was offered a job by Spielberg and um, I decided to do that instead. But, you know, I, I've that seen... One does, please. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's the career move. Um, sorry, Dawn, you know, I've done two Chuckies and I am happy to do more if that's if the case may be. But yeah, I, I was very sad to see some of the stuff coming up um, on Instagram and social media, things like that, that because those guys are big fans of posting uh, Jennifer Tilly and, and Dawn all the time. And it was like, oh, I'm not there. But, you know, uh, I, I, I still talked with them and, you know when you when you make a decision like that like obviously like and and no like if if spielberg calls you you answer the phone right like it's it, it yeah. so when you but how do you make decisions and stuff like is it is it it's not always about like you know that i've heard the saying one for art one for commerce one for art one for commerce right like you can't it can't Absolutely. about art it can't all be about commerce because then you know you don't have enough money to make art and you don't have enough art and commerce so yeah, and I've kind of avoided your question about horror. We can get back to that in a minute. But um, for me, I moved. I, I had to make a decision. Um, I'd lived in Winnipeg all my life. I was born there in 1967. There, I just told you how old I am. And uh, when, when, what was that, 87? Yeah, 87. Um, Winnipeg while it was my stomping grounds and learned so much from some wonderful people and did some amazing projects there, I wasn't getting choice. It was what was coming to Winnipeg. And there was, you know, I think they can accommodate three, maybe four crews there now. I'm not even sure if it's no, that much. Right. Three is, I, as an outsider, I, I would say three is comfortable. Four might be pushing it. Yeah. So I had to make, I, you know, I want to retire one day and I want to retire with some wonderful things on my resume 
some more wonderful things on my resume and more opportunity to make more money to retire too as well, right? Yeah. It, so yeah. it's commerce and it is art. And currently in Vancouver, I think they've got over 40 projects on the go right now. And when I first got here, I had been away working on other things, bought a house and didn't get here for a year. And then I landed and COVID hit a month later. So I was stuck at home for eight months. Um, not stuck wow. at home. You know, I, I enjoyed yeah. my time yeah. not working and spending time with my husband and things like that. But it gave me a lot of time to reflect on what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I was still selling vintage online full time. And I've really cut back on that. And I'm, I'm, it's more about enjoying life and being able to pick some projects and having more opportunities come along. You know, in Winnipeg, there um, rarely does a series come. And if the series does come, there's one person that usually does them. And then I never got the opportunity to work on some of those things. Bigger market, bigger opportunities. It just, yeah. It's yeah. Not. So I've been here working solid now. I started back at work in September of last year and I'm on my fourth project. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. The, the gig, the gig community always scared me too. Right. I like my continuity, mm -hmm. I like my, my rigid form. So if something like a global pandemic, you know, like that, that obliterated the ability for a minute, I think you guys were the most agile industry. You were like, all right, how do we just figure this out? Like it, but it's what you yeah. do every day, right? Like you come That's in, right. You're constantly problem solving. You're constantly creating. So it's like, let's just create another way around this. Mm -hmm. so we can still do this where, and I mean, I'm not an economics person by any state of the imagination, but like a lot of people were like, I don't want to. And Oh, that's what we're, that's exactly what we're facing here in, in Vancouver right now is um, people are, you know, thank you, Mr. Trudeau for extending CERB or CRB, I guess it is now until the end of October. Yeah. And we're having a hard time crewing uh, because people don't want to come out and work. Yeah. Uh, the Delta, the Delta variant is increasing the numbers again. They'd rather stay at home. Rightfully so, you know, you're, you're entitled, you're entitled to, to your own life. This yeah. is a very deadly thing that's going on here, but it is making it very, very difficult to, to do my job. And I've had a lot of, over the years, just put MacGyver at the end of my name. You know, we ha we have yeah. to we have to fix it and solve it and make it work. And I mean, it'll come back to the way it was. That'll that'll go away because eventually it, it it's a thing. It'll go away. Things come and go. We've seen well in in the last four shows, my budget's been cut, and I'm sure everybody else is finding that theirs have been cut as well. Because we have to pay for COVID, we have to pay to be safe. Yes. So that, and that's what I, I know. I know what you're saying. Like, I, I know the industry here because I had to get a copy of the new manual of what they were doing on set. So I was aware. And um, uh, it's it's expensive to stay safe. Very expensive. Yeah, it is. But I'm glad that they're stepping up to the plate and that everybody's working together. And yeah, you're not you know. some mom and pop shop who's like, can I get a plexiglass shield? And they're like, what's plexiglass? <laughs> so exactly. You know, it could yeah. be in that area. And that would really suck. Uh, what, what do you love about, cause I mean, you're from here, but you're out there and I want to know BC film. We've got friends out there. We, we love to talk to more people in your industry in that, like, we love Canadian film. We love the Canadian film industry. We love Hollywood North, right? Like that's a, yep. I don't care about, I do care. If someone from LA called me, I'd say yes, but you guys are here. You're in my backyard, your voice, your school, your talent, your yard. Right. So what's, mm -hmm. 
what do you uh what what did you get when you went out there what was what are some of the things that you can shout out to the bc film industry oh the the possibilities the opportunities are far vast than what i was used to the crew base huge absolutely huge there's so many talented people here uh choice the ability to have choice to work on projects or not work on projects just because oh my gosh something might never come again i'd have to take this yeah yeah that's a a nice thing to have is is, it is it is um I live in Vancouver Island, on Vancouver Island, in a little commuter village called Mill Bay, and we're on the ocean, and we have a fishing boat. Never thought, you know, prairie girl from Manitoba, that I would be out fishing on my weekends, but because I know that there is so much more opportunity here, I can take more time off, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It's not as, it's not a risk. You're not, you're not, you're, you're not jumping to their needs. You're going after your own needs when you need them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm only finding that my resume is growing and more and more people are getting to know who I am here. Um, And, you know, having things happen like Flag Day, Go to Cannes and nobody uh, being so well recepted right out of the gates. I'm I'm getting a lot more calls and a lot more opportunities. Uh, Resources here. I wish I could say there's more. Um, there's better shopping for sure. There's better shopping, but again, COVID has really numbered that is limited that as well. The shelves are empty. Uh, it's a struggle to find things. We're doing an awful lot of online shopping, so I can't really speak to that that part of it because COVID has really changed how everybody across the country, I'm sure, across the continent, is doing things. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm 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 in a little plexiglass cubicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. behind a lot of I'm behind a corporation that has the resources to be able to do that and didn't take a single day off work I can't yeah. I had I am a spoiled rotten child to begin with but I had one incredibly <laughs> easy COVID and I was like come on just let me let me find a reason to stay off of work for two weeks for something everybody else is like if you're not sick you were shut down or what like I, I mean that's right. really stupid to say and I don't mean it and it's entire- no, I get it I get you know, it like my wife was out of work for like whatever and we bought a house and it was nuts I was like we bought a house in a pandemic right before you stopped working like that is a financial that's craps to me right it's, it's absolutely scary and we did the same thing you know we had bought the house the year before in Vancouver, and I don't know if any of you have seen or heard. Uh, I knew the market, yeah. The market, like the on the island and here in Vancouver, the uh, cost of building materials has gone up 300%. We're here so, too. What is diamonds and, out here in Manitoba? Pardon me? I said wood is like diamonds. Yeah, well, that's just it. And so that affects the film industry as well. It affects right. how much you have to build sets, how much you have. I'm really, really grateful for the studio spaces that are already set up here. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, sure, I'm still going into empty spaces and having to start from scratch to build a costume shop. But it seems that there's more, uh, more availability to do my job properly <laughs> in things that are pre-established. So I like that about Vancouver as well. That's and, awesome. you know, they're talking about building uh, the Malahat First Nation is on the island and they are putting out proposals to build the Malahat Film Studio, which oh. is literally right next door to where I live. Um, I don't know if it'll ever be built in my lifetime, in my, not my lifetime so much as my career lifetime, 
but I, I hope it is because the proposals that they've sent me, uh, because I am a member of the, the South Island Film Commission, it's gonna bring so much more to the island, so much more opportunity. And maybe I might get to stay home once in a while, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, it, and an indigenous run film studio is pretty fucking awesome in this day and age. Yeah, so like, absolutely. You know, you, that's the best of, of everything. I like when there's no losers, only winners. That's, that's... Well, yeah, and they're building a, a school as well to train people. Oh, really? Yeah, that's one thing. If I have to compare Manitoba and Vancouver, Manitoba knows what they're doing. They have Manitoba film training. And yes. we have opportunities yeah. to train people property, properly. I'm finding here in Vancouver, there is no film training. It's just, okay, we need these people, um, bring them on. And it's it's like before film training in Manitoba, we learned on the job, but you know, it, it's and, something that has to be worked on. I totally agree. We, we had the chance to have them on. And uh, it was, it's, it's just this weird thing in the world where it's like, okay, if you want to get in this industry, you have to grovel you have to find an angle and and it's can sometimes be snaky here it's like it's who you know it's who you know yeah exactly and here it's like would you like to be in film come see us let's find out where we can put you and it's like you want me to do better in an industry that i have a dream to work in okay sign me up that's it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant i wish that they could somehow launch that to federally like really set up like training at film training, drop the Manitoba, it'd be film training Saskatchewan, film training BC, film training Alberta, right? Where they can, and, and they can write a letter to whoever is going to run this country next year um, to pay attention to the arts area and, and, and do that because it's an industry. They show up, thousands of you show up to a place, hotels, uh, uh, vendors, every, everybody wins when a film crew comes through because it creates Absolutely. more jobs. It puts money back into the economy, lots of money back into the economy if you're Marvel, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, well, yeah. $200, $300 million to make a movie. Atlanta, I mean, it, screw their, their their governor, but- um, Their tax to, credits are incredible. Right, yeah, so you've got, yeah. and that's the, you know, the thing too, is it a place that can give you a tax credit. Um, before I let you go though, there's two things that I really wanna talk, I wanna get a little bit more on, on Don and, and Chucky. Before yeah. we do that, um, actually, no. Let's do that first. Uh, what What's the doll like? I've I've I asked Doug that question. I want to know, like that doll, is so so ingrained in in cinematic culture that when <laughs> so I'm gonna ask as many people until I can ask Don because that's the only way I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're getting one step closer when you talk to me and Dougie about getting closer to Don. You know, we can always try and make that happen for you. That dog, that doll is creepy. Um, (laughs) he's super creepy and I have pictures of myself sitting with him and the thing about him Tony Gardner is the 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 man behind the magic Uh, he created the the actual physical doll and the animatronics that go with the doll and it takes I think four or five guys to to um, make him move so when you have Chucky's the star of the show so I always found Chucky projects um, a little bit of a break costume wise. And I, I didn't have to work such horrendous long hours because Chucky was on set and it's going to take an hour and a half to get that foot to move where you want it to move properly or to get the facial expression, right? Um, and, you know, animatronics have come so far that he's getting even more intense. And Tony and the gang, um, they do such a good job. They had their own locked up room 
uh, I wish you could see it. I don't know how to describe it. Um, you know, there's a wires here and wires there and there's people that are, it's a puppeteering thing, but it's pretty fantastic. But to sit alone with the actual doll in, in a room, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> okay, okay. How about, how about Jennifer? Oh, Jennifer Tilly. I love Jennifer Tilly. Um, it's, it's interesting because there's Jennifer Tilly that you see. It's like Marilyn Monroe when Marilyn would have the voice that she would use and everything. And then when you see private things of Marilyn and she didn't talk like that, Jennifer's yeah. much, much like that as well. Uh, she had a lot of say in the beginning in, when I first worked with her in costuming because we'd never worked together before, but then she started to trust me and we were able to build some pretty fantastic key iconic pieces that worked. I did Cult of Chucky and Curse of Chucky. Yeah. Um, and uh, I will work with her any day of the week. Bring it on. <laughs> this, this I'm, I'm just on the call to Chucky on your, on your page here. And uh, this red coat that she's wearing with the doll, like it, it, was that off the rack? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we built that. We, I had wool brought in special Italian wool brought in from here. Laces brought in from there and had somebody sketch a concept, cutters, stitchers, build the whole look uh, to fit Jennifer perfectly, to make her comfortable and feel the part. And um, she has the most amazing shoe collection. So, you know, uh, she would always come in, come into the fitting room and go, here you go, and open up the suitcase. And I would have Louboutin, I would have Alexander McQueen. And so we would, you know, she would bring the shoes, we'd do the outfits. Oh, that's fun. That's somebody that's already halfway into the job. Well, that's just it. <laughs> and I, there's the, the first one where she's mailing off Chucky in the end. The first one I did with them, uh, that was, uh, sorry, Curse, Curse. Yeah, I'm and she really, I had so much fun with that costume. I uh, reached out to the woman that builds all of Dita Von Teese's corsets. Oh. And I had one done for Jennifer. And then I had in my private collection, these ancient 1940s mink uh, stools. So they're like full mink animals with the tail and the paws and the little mouths that open and close, oh, cool. little glass I'm eyes. Look at that mink right now. <laughs> yeah, and I stitched a whole bunch of them together so that as she walked, it looked like there was all these dead animals draping down her back. It was fantastic. Sorry, PETA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, it's a yeah. while. We're it's sustainable it's yes. sustainable fashion they were from the 40s they were period they were already dead so you know fun things like that i got to do with jennifer and i miss doing that this this time around but you know other opportunities came knocking yeah no totally and she i now that you've mentioned this marilyn monroe thing like i i know her from chucky but then i was a big poker fan for a while and i saw mm -hmm. her breaking pots against the, like some of these pros and I'm just like oh wow and then and then I've heard stories about how nobody wants to play her because she's just too damn good she's intense I've watched her play um she sat in my office and played online and she has that poker face down pat you know she's she's won the bracelet I'm not sure what it's called but you know the women's championship poker something something and she, yeah, she knows her game and her husband is also a poker player and they travel and, and that's their jam. They're both very good at it. So before we let you go, um, mm -hmm. you are more than likely going to be the closest I'll ever get to con. 
And <laughs> as somebody who got to go there for their career, that's what mm -hmm. I'm more interested in. Like, what was your experience? Because that is a highlight. You are, you are at the film festival, not like it's the CIA of film festivals. It's the NSA of film festivals. Yeah. Everybody's there. I heard they did the, did they do the JFK thing with Oliver Stone? Is that? I went to it. I went to it. Okay. Yeah. So you've, you've been working, you leave Manitoba, you go to Vancouver, you find all this opportunity, your career is coming to this point. Sean, like you're getting call, phone calls from Sean Penn, come to my house. You're to accumulate all of this sitting at con. What's that like for you? What was it? Was that? It was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. And, you know, um, we all walk the red carpet to get into the Palais, it's called. And I think there's 27 steps that you have. There's a red carpet and the 27 steps oh. that you go up. And there's all of the bleachers on the side, if you will, full of reporters from, or photographers, whoever, um, journalists from all over the world. And it's intimidating. So um, my husband said to me, you've never done anything quite this scale before. You know, I've gone to the CSAs and the Gemini Awards, but nothing like this. And so we went and practice run. We went and watched how they did it the <laughs> night before at another show. <laughs> Why not? And it, the, the hardest part about it was just staying calm because nobody knew who I was. And I knew that was going to happen. It was all about the actors and and to watch all of that. But they picked us up um, from the, the Martinez Hotel in special black limousines, not limousines, uh, town cars. And we were whisked down uh, the uh, Quasette, which is the main road on the beach there in Cannes. And we were taken in behind the, the Palais, which is where all the films are held. And up this little road where we were dropped off at the end of the, the uh, the red carpet and the flashes and the paparazzi and people shouting and it was it was kind of incredible um but to to walk the red carpet my husband and I walked it and you know I was looking over and there's Spike Lee standing right beside me there's Oliver Stone 10 feet in front of me and all these other people behind me I never ever ever thought a career moment like that would come for me and I'm going to cherish it for the rest of my life <laughs> oh my god <laughs> all day long I would daydream of that it was it was frightening it was terrifying it was exhilarating um do I want to do it again <laughs> not right away <laughs> <laughs> That's, maybe once every year just get it in get it out wait and decompress yeah yeah but you know um we got to see some fantastic films we got to uh Cannes is very uh, secluded from the rest of the world and they have a lot of security set up. There was gendarme walking with machine guns everywhere to make sure that all of these people are well protected, myself included. And so it was, it gave, I feel it gives the, the actors, the directors, the producers, the ability to be private, but be public and not worry about things. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel that from a distance, the ocean looks blue. No, sorry. Um, from a, uh, <laughs> I, I feel that it's, it's designed to be this intimate affair for the best film to be experienced with some of the most best qualified, talented people. And when you put all of that in a place, like you kind of have to protect it because it becomes destination number one. So I get that, right? Like it, it's, it, but at the same time, I mean, it is the most like <laughs> Pulp Fiction 
right? Yeah, absolutely. It also gave me an opportunity to totally geek out and and not look like a geek, <laughs> um, if you will, because I had uh, all access to go to anything I could get tickets to. So uh, I went to see as many films as I could. And uh, we went to see The French Dispatch. How was uh, it? Wes Anderson's film. I'm not going to tell you what I thought of it. I'm going to wait for you, you to figure it out. Maybe. I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, uh, but not everybody is, you know. Uh, he, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I appreciate that. No spoilers. Um, I, no, yeah. I have a friend of mine who's quoted saying that Wes Anderson doesn't make films. He makes worlds. It, it, so there's four different worlds within this one, um, uh -huh. which I will tell you about. But, you know, my husband and I went to the film and we had to dress up again because all of these are tuxedo and formal dresses and it okay. was 42, 42 degrees in the shade. And uh, my husband turns to me, his name's Bob, and he says, you think Bill Murray's going to come to this? And I said, oh, come on, Bill Murray doesn't go to anything. He's Bill Murray. <laughs> Bill Murray. And up pulls up this, like, think of a Greyhound, Grey Goose bus. Yeah. And off, who's sitting in the front? Bill Murray. And, you know, off gets Bill Murray, Timothy Chalamet. Who else do we see? Tilda Swinton, Benicio Del Toro. Uh, the whole, I think everybody but Francis McDormand was there. And to be the geek on the side, while well, I was inside the Palais waiting for them all and watching them all come in, it was just, That's that was pretty incredible. phenomenal. That, yeah, it, it was. Your, you, see, here's what's so great is that I remember there being a shot of Chalamet, Swinton, Murray, and Anderson together. And mm -hmm. it was this color swatch of like different <laughs> styles and different clothing. And Bill Murray's just like, I don't give a shit. And Wes Anderson, <laughs> Tilda Swinton looks amazing. Chalamet is wearing like the most current off the fucking uh, catwalk that you could possibly find. It's like gold, silver, what was yeah. it? I don't know, but we had to delay the filming or delay the premiere because Chalamet was outside with all of his fans still taking selfies with everybody. It was awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I, love, I, I can't wait to see him in Dune. I'm so excited for Dune. Yeah, what a great actor. Yeah. But I'm glad I see like that. That's that's a nod, Patty. Like you're at Con behind Sean Penn, and people cheered your name when they saw it come mm -hmm. on the screen. Like I, I mean, what's beyond that for you? I don't. Is there much? Um, one of the producers reached over and held my hand, and he said, "Patty, it doesn't get any better than this." It doesn't. No, I would imagine like you're being recognized on the world stage, not just at the Gemini's in Canada, but you are, you are a Canadian who has been plastered all over con and uh, it's, is it con? It, it's can. Think it, beer can. Beer can. Yeah. Okay. I've, now it's can. <laughs> we, when we got the package, um, can the can film festival sends it out to you. Um, they have a little do's and don'ts and, and they taught you how to say the word properly. Oh, it's sure. can as in beer can. What's uh what do you want people to know about you before we let you go? Where can they find your stuff? Is there anything you'd like to? Sure. Um, I want them to know that I'm still here. You know, I have producers call that say, you're not in Winnipeg. Did you retire? I'm still here and I'm, I want to work. I'm in the, I'm based out of Vancouver Island, but I will work anywhere. Um, I've been talking to somebody about Berlin, fingers crossed, you know, nice. that might happen. It might not happen. Um, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to collaborate. Every day is a new experience. Bring it on. 
Perfect. Well, everything that you want people to know about, I'm, I'm going to put your page. We'll put your website. It'll all be in the show notes. So if by some off chance, some executive EP somewhere wants to hire you and they listen to the show, which I think would be great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. That'd be the best. We both win, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my, I do have a webpage, so I appreciate you putting that up there. Well, our, our listeners dig this stuff for sure. Um, I got, I got nothing else for you. That's, that's it. This was a pleasure, Patty. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate the opportunity and I love podcasts and thank you for doing one that's based on filmmaking. Love it. Yeah, no, it's, we, 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 we do three things here. We do the debate stuff where we take real life and fake life and we combine the two. We take your characters and go, Hey, could James Bond be a nanny? Could, <laughs> could, Conan, the, could Conan the Barbarian teach sex ed? That's the stuff that we do that's, <laughs> fun right and then you actually use canon in real scenarios and then we talk to you guys and have conversations about this and i just i never would have thought i would have been such a big cheerleader for it and i never thought i was going to do this to tell you the truth um but now that i am i'm like i love the canadian film industry you guys are fantastic you talk to us so right off the hop i'm 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 just ecstatic that when i send an email these are great questions let's talk yeah awesome okay i'm not a piece of shit who's trying to fake it something no and you know the thing is is that we need to talk more about the canadian um industry as a whole and for your listeners too there's something called CAFCAD, and it's the canadian alliance of costume designers you know we were finding that we were no longer getting nominated for uh, the canadian screen awards because they have to be um all canadian content and now with streaming happening you've got your netflix and your amazon and everything we no longer our work no longer qualified uh, that's horrible to be, to, it, yeah it kind of was it kind of is unless you get into the golden globes the emmys or the the oscars and we have so much competition down south that that's very rare for a canadian to to enter i think louis sakara for the shape of water was the last canadian costume designer i saw uh, get nominated correct me if i'm wrong of course with your fact checkers um but so caft cad c-a-f caft cad c-a-d c-a-f-t c-a-d check it out i will it'll be up it'll be up and down all over the page as well for sure i uh thank you make let's make some noise uh ladies and gentlemen this has been uh this has been a slice uh realdebaters.ca that's all i'm gonna say i'm gonna shut up about all this other stuff because it's just easier realdebaters.ca go check us out everything we want you to look at is in the show notes if you um so feel so inclined oh i just knocked over my ring lamp uh if you feel so inclined to uh donate to our cause because you like what you heard today uh there's a donation tab and there's also a prop shop tab there too you can buy all of our merch skateboards t- skateboards skateboards t-shirts hoodies hats laundry bags uh, socks we have everything for the stocking stuffer all the way up to that cold cozy night um find us on instagram at real debaters on twitter instagram real debaters on facebook patty thank you so much thank you for having me watch all the movies kids uh we're gonna go away now we're gonna go enjoy a lovely saturday afternoon she's gonna go choke and i'm gonna go work on my hot yeah (laughs) thank you stick around for a sec all right guys bye-bye